Hello and welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I am joined by my lovely co-host, Charlie. Hello. And uh, not Haley yet. She may pop in. She's having some technical difficulties, so don't be startled if she just suddenly pops in here out of nowhere. So I bet she has a great big story about why the internet is not working at her house as well. We can look forward to that. A good Haley story. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, good Haley story. I'm really excited about hearing what happened. It was kind of weird. She was here and then she froze. So I thought maybe something awful happened, but it's going to be okay. So this week we are talking about thinking like a scientist, but what does that mean exactly? Miguel's going to tell us. <laughs> I hope so. Um, so some of you may be familiar with the scientific method, right? So you identify a problem and then you have an experiment and then you draw a hypothesis. Sorry, you have a hypothesis, then you run the experiment, then you collect the data and then you figure out what the data means, right? So the idea is to think about running your side hustle or your business or your passion project kind of with that approach as opposed to like this perfect thing that you've thought of everything, you, you, you've figured it all out and hopefully everybody likes it. And if they don't, it's a giant failure because mm. I feel like that can kind of set you up for some pretty disappointing outcomes. But if you treat it more like the scientific method, I think it'll end up being a little different. And where I got this uh, idea was from this guy, maybe you've heard of him. His name is Adam Grant. He's an organizational psychologist at the Wharton School. And he also has his own podcast called Work Life, where he basically talks about he takes kind of like a, a data-driven approach to figuring out how to make work not suck, hmm. is how he puts it. And um, he was actually on a different podcast, an entrepreneurial podcast called How I Built This with Guy Raz. It's an NPR podcast. So I don't know if some of you guys are fans of that podcast. I suggest you check it out. It's really interesting. And they talk about some of this stuff, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But before we get started, what are your initial thoughts about that approach that I described, Charlie? I think, like, I'm, I'm trying to think, do I do this? Like, do I approach my content creation, my projects, you know, the things that I work on as hypotheses? Is that the plural of hypotheses? It is. It is. Your Greek is very good. <laughs> is Do I approach them that way or um, or not? And I think that maybe it's something I've started to do more the further I get into, I don't know, let's call it my creator career, I suppose. I think early on, especially when you said the, the point about like, if you put something out there and then if people don't like it, it's a huge failure. That's definitely how I thought about things early on. If I invested time into a video and I put it out and it didn't get like, I don't know, the view count that I wanted or the response that I thought it should get, I was like, well, what a waste of time. Like I screwed up. Like, why don't they like it? I don't know. There's nothing I could have done differently. And like, that's frustrating. I did have that attitude towards it. Whereas now I feel like it's more about, I don't know, I'm guessing I'm approaching it more like a game where I'm like, ooh, okay, if I do the video this way, what results will I get? How will it land with people? You know, will I get people sticking around longer if I put this point in the video at this point instead? I think I'm um, being more playful, I guess, with my approach to content creation and taking it less seriously in general. Yeah. Which is ironic to say that taking it less seriously is thinking more like a scientist <laughs> because they're pretty serious folks. But yeah, I think I'm trying to take more of this on and I like this framing of it, um, of how you've put it. Yeah. One of the interesting things that uh, 
that I've noticed that's nice about the fact that we've been doing this for a while. And one of the benefits of this sort of constant creation that we are holding ourselves to, we're doing this every mm -hmm. single week, mm -hmm. is that you're able to go back and kind of like look at what you've done instead of as a singular video or a podcast, but looking at how they've done over time. Mm. And I was looking at our page today and seeing how some videos that we have have views in the thousands and some of them barely crack 300. And it makes me wonder like, oh, well, I mean, it was the same three people. <laughs> Sometimes we have guests, but like a lot of the times it's the same three people. We're always our chipper selves. <laughs> so what was different about this video that did so well? Mm. And sometimes it's kind of easily explainable. Sometimes we, like when we had Nathan on, that one had more vi views, but Nathan has a bigger audience. So I imagine that we benefited from that, right? Right, right. But then the video that we did on the 100 true fans or 1,000 true fans, or I forget which, but we, we, we did... We kind of talked about both, so I get it mixed up. Some version of that. Um, that one did really, really well too, but we didn't have any special guests or anything, so maybe that topic was interesting to people. So just being able to look back and looking at what you do and seeing how you're iterating and figuring out what works, what's not working, and then using that to inform where you're going next, mm. I think is really, really helpful. Instead of taking as one of our lower rated videos and being like, oh, well, we suck, we're not doing this right. You know, that's that's the wrong conclusion. Right. Or we should never talk about that topic again, clearly. You know, right. like that's yeah. not the conclusion to draw from it. Can I tell you about um, kind of like it's, I guess it's an experiment that I'm running right now on my own YouTube channel. Yeah. Hopefully this won't take us too off track, but not at all. I think it fits in because I'm definitely approaching it as an experiment. So for a long time, well, as long as they've existed, I've been hearing from fellow YouTube creators that... If you want to grow on YouTube, shorts is where it's at. You've got to be making shorts. You've got to be getting in there on the algorithm. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't have a TikTok. I don't do Instagram reels. Why should I be interested in making short videos on this platform? You know, like it's just not what I want to create. It's not where I thrive. I like to turn on the camera and like talk about something for a while, then edit into a cohesive video. Not interested in the format of shorts. Mm -hmm. But I had advice from someone who I really respect, who has like one of the arguably the biggest design channel, um, Chris Doe from the future. And he was like, Charlie, you need to be doing shorts. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> Hearing this again, what advice do you have for me, Chris? I don't know. And he just broke it down. And um, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to give it a good go. He said, I've got to do it consistently for like a month, every single weekday and see where I get from there. So that's what I'm in the middle of right now. I'm like two weeks in, I think, to posting a short every single weekday and seeing how it goes. I made a bunch just cutting down my older videos to upload it and try it out. And so far, I don't know if it's looking like the results are going to be very good for my channel. Um, <laughs> in full transparency, I feel like I've gotten less subscribers and like lost subscribers from uploading these videos, which is a shame. But I'm trying to take the approach of it like a scientist that this was all a hypothesis, right? And that if mm -hmm. it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And at least I tried. And that there's things that I can learn and adjust to try and make it work for me in future. But yeah, that's just a little experiment that I'm in the middle of. And maybe I can report back in future about the the final results. Yeah, I want to hear about how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So I I find it so interesting because I would imagine that that experiment would be going better than the way that it sounds like you're describing because it's, maybe. you know, shorter attention span or mm. maybe the kind of audience that you've cultivated up until this point isn't the kind that likes those. True. True. If they were, you know, obviously you have longer form content, so it'd be kind of weird if suddenly it turns out that they don't like long form content. So 
I will say there's been one so far that, um, cause I've made these shorts from like cut down versions of longer videos. And one of them that I did about like my income report from, from the past year, um, has led to like an extra 2000 views on the main video. So okay, that's like a mini success buried within there, I suppose, along the way. Yeah. And it also, it's interesting that you always make sure that when you're running an experiment, I know obviously when you're running experiments, you want to hold back from guessing the outcome or making or biasing your results, but you definitely want to do some version of what does success look like from this, Mm -hmm. from this experiment. I mean, obviously you can hold back and just kind of see what the results say, but you don't want to cast because data can be interpreted in many different ways, depending on how you want to see it, twist it, whatever. So before you do that, I would imagine, what is the success of this? Is the success that I gain a lot of new insights about my audience? Is success that I got a bunch more subscribers? Because it might be both, it might be neither, it might be one of the two. So it's just really interesting just to kind of see how you define success for yourself whenever you're iterating within your own space. Yep, totally. And I think that is really important to call out, Miguel, is that you should have some idea of what does success mean in mind before you start, because otherwise it's really easy to just, I don't know, bend the data wherever you want, or you're just not going to get as much from the experiment if you haven't defined that early. This is an approach we take to testing things on like, you know, running design tests on the marketing website at ConvertKit, for example. So I'm kind of taking the same approach to my content as well. And success for me in this little experiment is getting more subscribers. That's what I'm trying to use shorts to grow my YouTube channel because I just hit 200,000 the other week and I'm like, let's go to that next milestone, you know? Yeah. And I'm just seeing if this is the way to get there. Yeah. And it, apparently, uh, Jadine has been inspired by you. So one of our people in the chat here is saying that they're enjoying the live stuff and great job on Charlie diving into the shorts. <laughs> Maybe she'll try it out thanks to you. So, yes, give it a try, Jadine. Just try cutting down some older videos and seeing what you can get from it. I don't think it's the ideal way to do a short, obviously, but hey, it's something. And uh, I've been getting pretty good retention rates on them, despite them not being filmed specifically for a short. Yeah. Definitely. But anyway, we don't need to make this a YouTube Shorts podcast. Maybe that's a (laughs) podcast for a different day. I'm curious for your thoughts on this, Miguel. Do you think you approach your creative projects like a scientist in this way? Or is there some changes that you want to make? I think so. I think... I kind of lend myself to this approach, mostly because I am a very pensive person. So I think about things a lot. And a lot of the times I try to try to figure out what it is that I want to focus on. And one of the things that attracted me to the podcast I listened to with Adam Grant is that they talked about exactly kind of what filters to put your mind through when you're trying to figure out what in the heck do you want to focus on? And Mm. they described it in three different filters. So the main filter is a project has to be something that fills you with passion or curiosity because it's going to follow you around for a long time. So you might as well be excited to do it every single day. If from the get-go you've chosen something that you see yourself burning out on or getting bored with, it's a non-starter. You're going to put a lot of work into something that you're just going to get not interested in real quick. So making sure it's something that you're, you feel like you really have something to offer on. And what I mean by that is filter two is, okay, after you figured out something that you're really, really passionate about, is this something that is useful to other people? Mm. Cause you can be really, really passionate about it, but if there's zero demand for that, then 
good luck, you know, but if you're, if one of your goals is to, is to make it so that it's useful for other people, make sure that, you know, that's something that people want. And maybe it's something that people don't know that they want. And if you feel strongly that once people know it, they'll get it, then that's fine. And then finally, the third filter is, do I have something unique to offer in this space? Mm. So how unique mm -hmm. is the thing that I'm trying to offer? Because it can meet the first two criteria, but if it's been done to death on YouTube, for example, if it's a, I don't know, if it's like a how-to on something that there's 150 videos on the how-to of it, is it really worth your time to take the time to make a video that's been done to death? Right. So that's important too. Yeah, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week, right? About um, the creator market being oversaturated and like competitive and is there still space for this and all of that. I think these filters that you've talked about, if I can just try summarize, filter one is passion, filter two is usefulness, I guess is a way to describe it. Yeah, or demand maybe. Demand, yep, yep, demand. And then filter three is uniqueness. Do you have something unique to offer? And those are all really good questions to ask before launching something. I feel like that's something that I went through when making my font last year. I knew I wanted to make a font, so I had the passion behind it, right? <laughs> but what type of font was decided sort of by filter two and filter three, you know, was what's out there already? How can I provide something a little bit different? I think that's that's important to consider. I'm getting closer and closer to flirting with the idea. I feel like this podcast is going to be like, an evolution. The journey of Miguel's creator. Yeah, the yeah. journey of me actually <laughs> finally launching something. The work that I do on this podcast forces me to kind of like internalize uh, a lot of the things that we talk about, which in turn makes me feel more serious about what we're doing or what I'm doing with, with my side hustle slash project slash passion thing. I don't know what to call it yet. but Because it doesn't exist quite yet. <laughs> Not quite yet. But going through those three filters really kind of helps me sort of narrow things down because I kind of have that problem of the, the artist that looks at a blank canvas, you know, mm. without any direction. You're just looking at a blank sheet of paper and you have a nice, crisp, sharpened, brand new pencil and someone says, draw me something. And you're like, uh, right? But if someone says, draw me something flying through the air. It's like, okay, all right. Well, that, I mean, I could draw a plane, a, plane, a bird, whatever, a ball. Superman. Superman, <laughs> whatever. Like now I have, you have something to grasp onto and then branch yep. from, as opposed to just like, you could literally do anything. So, because that's, that's scary and mm -hmm. super overwhelming. I feel like that in itself is kind of like a scientific approach in a way, you know, like when you're as a scientist running an experiment, you need to put some parameters on it, you know, like you need to know what it is you're testing and you need to know what you're changing, what's staying the same. And so I think that maybe it just comes back to the fact that constraints breed creativity, right? And if you put a couple of constraints on yourself, it can help you get past that blank canvas, like, where do I even start? Because you've got some guardrails on, you know, like the things in bowling. <laughs> I just thought of that because that's what I have to use whenever <laughs> I go bowling. I cannot not hit the gutter. I need the, the guardrails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we got to go bowling next time you're in the U.S. I think we do. And I can show you just how terrible I really am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm glad you brought up creativity because... One of the best quotes I've ever heard thinking about what like what's creative is creativity is just putting old things in new combinations mm. and new things in old combinations. I like it. 
So think about that for a second. So there's nothing new under the sun, is the saying, right? But if there is, if there's a new way to put something together, but it's just old stuff, like it's a type of creativity to synthesize something new from things that already exist. That's creative. It doesn't have to be completely out of thin air and from your own mind. You can take something that's already kind of been done and put your spin on it, and that's you putting it in, in a new combination. Or you take something that's brand new, no one's ever thought of it before, but you can put it in an old combination that is tried and true. So I love that idea. It kind of really easily spells out sort of what the creative process ultimately boils down to. And if you're blocked creatively, it can mean maybe that you haven't grabbed enough pieces of a puzzle to put your idea together yet. Mm. And what that just means isn't that you're stuck and you're just, you know, if you have writer's block or whatever it is that you're trying to figure out what the next step is, that can just mean that you need to do a little bit more research uh, on what you're doing or go into the world and make connections with people that are in the space that you are trying to do something and reach out to somebody on YouTube that's doing something that's kind of like what you're doing. And maybe they'll reach back. Maybe they'll inspire you. Maybe if you build your network like that and you just get curious about what is blocking you creatively and you just go out there, you'll find that in a non-linear way, you'll get to an idea. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the times I feel like we're always trying to think of like, okay, step what's step one? What's step two? What's step three? And if you get stuck on step three, you're just like, oh, step three, step three, step three. I can't get past this stupid thing. And you just kind of get overwhelmed. Yep. But I feel like your unconscious brain can make like these intuitive leaps mm -hmm. that are just like, you know, if you just get yourself not thinking about it, like, you know, you go to bed and wake up the next day and you feel refreshed or you go do something else or you call your mom and have a conversation that has nothing to do with anything and you come back to it and you're like, aha, you know? Yep, that's why I get most of my ideas in the shower because I cannot be on my <laughs> phone distracted by something else, you know? <laughs> so my brain's like, oh, finally we've got some space. Boom, here's the idea that you needed. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. The, the shower thing is really common because apparently like if you tie up your body with something physical this is what I've heard, at least. I don't know if this is true or not. But if you tie up your brain with doing something physical that's like routine and you don't really have to think about it, like washing your hair, you know, all that stuff, you kind of free up your brain to kind of wander a little bit because you're you're doing mindless physical tasks that are on autopilot. So your brain can kind of just sort of like let go, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And also like not to, I mean, I feel like I always am going to tie it back to examples from my own create a journey. So people can tell me if this gets annoying, but to bring it back to what I'm doing with shorts, I feel like that is what helps me get over the block of like approaching that, you know, like I was hearing from people I respected that this was a thing I should be doing to try and grow my channel. And I wasn't doing it because I didn't want to sit there and think of ideas for one minute videos and then film them. Like that was the blocker that I had, you know, I didn't want to make time for that. There's all these other things that I wanted to be working on. It didn't come naturally to me. And so I'm doing what you said, Miguel, in taking something old my existing videos and formatting them in new ways, like cutting them together. Like what's a one minute version of this or a one minute piece of this video? Like for example, I did a video talking about my um, salary history throughout my career. And within it, there was a little story I had about negotiating or like lack of <laughs> as it was in my case. <laughs> and so I just cut that little bit out and that became a short, you know? And so it was taking old stuff and like seeing it in new light to give it a new life. And that's what helped me get through it and actually start putting this experiment into play. I love that because it very well may be that the content that you already have out has a lot of value, but maybe it's not in the proper format for Ooh, yeah. people to enjoy it. 
mm-hmm. because that tidbit that you singled out and made it into a short is a valuable piece of information that someone may not have experienced or been or or just heard or seen or however you put it out because maybe they saw a 40 minute long video and thought I don't have time for this right. so they never engaged with it or maybe they watched the first 5 minutes and then went off somewhere else because you know we're we all have ADD now so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but speaking of ADD if i see a video that's like two and a half minutes long and it has a catchy title from charlie i'm like okay well i got i got time for this i mean my doctor's appointment is in 30 minutes. I don't have time for a full video, but I can jam out on a few of these shorts, you know? That's the goal anyway. Yeah. (laughs) That's the goal. What about you, Miguel? Is this a way you think you can get through the stage you're at into actually putting your your project into place? Is there anything old you could reuse to get through it or to help you think of things in a different way? Yeah, actually. um, So all around my house are things that I have built. Of course. (laughs) And it wouldn't take, obviously, I can't show you a video of me building it, Mm -hmm. but I could, now that it's already built, I could just sit down with a, with a nice, cool beverage and just look at the thing that I made and sort of deconstruct it and make plans for it. Mm -hmm. And now it's already staged and it has like things on it. You have the photos to take. Yeah. There's a pretty rug under it or whatever it is. And now I can just put that out there. And all I have to do is just kind of like go back and um, sort of deconstruct the thing that I've already built, you know, in a digital sense. Obviously, I can't, I don't, it's too late now for me to do the videos of like, this is how it looks in stage one and stage two or whatever. But maybe that's not necessary. Maybe if I can find some cool software that lets me design things in the three-dimensional space, I can't imagine that's all that hard to figure out. And maybe I should put my attention into figuring out some sort of computer-aided design software, and then just do it that way. I like that. And I think that if you thought about them from the place that, well, because I can't take pictures of step one and two, I just shouldn't do this thing altogether. That would be the wrong approach to take there because you're not making use of this thing that already exists. And like, you can learn a lot just from producing the content for these ones that do exist. And you already know what changes you want to make for next time, you know, and what what things you want to put in place of taking photos of each step, for example. But I like that approach to it. Yeah. You also mentioned there, um, put your attention on software that could help put a digital rendering of it or whatever. And something else that you had pulled from um, this podcast that you listened to with Adam Grant was about time management and how that's not really what you should pay attention to, but it's more attention management is the thing you can control. I'd love to hear more about that from you because I saw that in your notes and I was like, ooh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So you could spend all the time in the world trying to audit what you spend your time on, trying to get more hours out of the day. But at the end of the day, it matters less how much time you're spending on something and it matters more how much attention you're giving to something. So in other words, the only thing you can really control is what you focus on. You can't always control how much time something takes. So when you're really focused on trying to accomplish something that's worthwhile, it doesn't really matter how how much time you spend on it. It can be more effective productivity-wise instead of setting a goal for how you're using your time efficiently. You know, you can make sure that you're doing something that's, like we said before, interesting and meaningful to you. And... Uh, you can concentrate on the fact that this is something that matters to you and it'll be done when it's done, 
but at least the thing that you're putting your time on, you're putting your focus on, is something that you are really, really passionate and really excited about, as opposed to trying to make sure that you, okay, you go to your Google calendar and every last 15 minute chunk of your day has been fully put in because setting up a calendar like that in of itself is a giant time suck. I don't know about you, but I've gotten really, really into making sure that my calendar is like super perfect. And I'm like, okay, this is going to make me very, very effective at everything that I do. And I'm just going to context switch from here to here. And what ends up happening is I end up doing a lot of things pretty okay. And I don't set a lot of time aside for super focused work. Yep. Um, and I end up just being disappointed with the results. That's what it is for me too. Yeah. Is disappointment. Yeah. In myself. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it can be very helpful to make sure that you preemptively set aside focus time because you might otherwise not do it. So I'm not saying don't set aside time to like predetermined focus hours. I do that for work and it works greatly. You know, I, I log off of Slack, I shutter out the world and I just like heads down on something and that's super important. But that's less about my time management and more about me being really thoughtful about what I'm choosing to focus on in that time. Mm, because if you block it on your calendar, that doesn't mean it's going to get done, you know? Like you still have to control your attention and, and decide to focus on that thing. So yeah, that's why I think that's important. Yeah, man, calendar blocking. I've tried it lots of times because it <laughs> seems on paper like something that should work well for me because I'm a nerd for that sort of stuff. But mostly it just ends up like I've planned it perfectly and then I fall off track from the very first thing and then I spend the rest of the day feeling behind and feeling bad about myself and that's just a waste <laughs> of everyone's energy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've yeah. been there. <laughs> Ultimately, I feel like what my calendar is is just a way for me to not let things fall through the cracks because I tend to forget about something. So like my calendar is a way to remember to do the thing or else I'll forget. But outside of that, like trying to micromanage my days in and days out is just not useful to me, I've discovered. Not the one. Nope, nope. <laughs> useful for some, but not for us, apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently not. Yeah. One last thing I wanted to talk about. Well, maybe not the last thing. I might think I have two things to talk about. But uh, I want to talk about how procrastination can be a good thing, which sounds a little counterintuitive. But it turns out that according to the data that uh, and the research that Adam Grant has done, it turns out that procrastinators can sometimes be the most creative people. So if you feel like you're a procrastinator and you are a creator, you're in good company, so don't sweat it. In fact, it can be an important part of the creating pro creative process to be a procrastinator. Does this sound weird to you? Does this sound too good to be true? I don't know. One of my favorite creators who I feel like I reference all the time, but Jessica, she's a designer and illustrator. She calls herself, or she used to at least, a procrastinator worker. And she, that's what she called all her like passion projects. She called them procrastinating, meaning like I am procrastinating on this other thing right now, meaning <laughs> I should be doing this, this client work, but instead I'm mm -hmm. like focusing on this thing over here and turning that procrastination time into more creating time. So I like it in that way. But I feel like if I let myself believe wholeheartedly that procrastinating is a good thing, don't worry about it, you're more creative because of it, I would get nothing done. I feel like I really have to control my <laughs> procrastination and like keep a tight leash on it. Cause if I didn't, then I don't know, I'm great at starting things and less at finishing them. And I would just start many, many things <laughs> if I allowed myself to fully procrastinate as much as I would like to. Maybe I'm wrong for doing that. Tell me more about it. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. No, I'm not saying just like do whatever the hell you want whenever you want. 
What I'm saying is if you're putting something off because you're bored by it or you don't care about it, mm. then I don't think procrastination is going to pay off. Mm. But mm -hmm. the research yep. shows that if you're putting off a task because it's hard or because you just haven't figured it out yet, it actually opens up opportunities to incubate ideas and it's more likely to access remote knowledge. So you are more likely to reframe a, reframe a problem in a fresh way. And sometimes that can allow you to stumble onto a great creative gem, I guess. I can get on board with that. It kind of goes along with what you were talking about before about, um, yeah, thinking and, and now we're talking about being in the shower and how finally an idea comes to you. Because sometimes, especially with creative block, if you just keep pushing at it and you're like, I'm blocked and I've got to get through it and you keep pushing at the wall, it just gets you more and more entrenched and stuck mm -hmm. and frustrated and out of the creative mindset. And so maybe in those cases, embracing some procrastination, I can see how that would be a better approach. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, some famous procrastinators are Leonardo da Vinci, Steve Jobs, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King. They have all on record uh, at length talked about how much they procrastinate. And, uh, you know, we think of these people as, you know, either really, you know, great minds or very creative people, um, thought leaders. So mm -hmm. the point is acting on your first idea may not mean that you're acting on your best idea. That is very true. So maybe you need to procrastinate a little to get the good ideas to come out. Exactly. Yeah. So the whole basis of this thinking like a scientist thing, I told you a little bit about this before we started, Charlie, but for the benefit of the people listening, there was a study, it was in Italy, I believe, and they had two groups of people. They had, uh, and they were all entrepreneurs. One group was a control group, and the other group was people who were taught to think like scientists. In other words, to approach a problem as, when you launch your product or service, see it as an, exp as an experiment that is testing a hypothesis. And then, depending on what happens, you iterate and you change based on your hypothesis, or in this case, your approach to business gives you good or positive or negative results. And what happened that they went back to those people a year later, and it turns out that the people that were taught to think like scientists brought in 40% more revenue than the control group. The major mechanism that was at play here was that they were twice as likely, more than twice as likely to pivot mm. instead of getting stuck doubling down and trying to prove that what they did was right, people just oh. weren't getting it, you know? It's like, oh, what I did was perfect. Yep. You know, I, what I did was great. People, I'm just not marketing it correctly, or I'm just not doing this, or I'm not, so, instead of explaining or like prosecuting your idea. Mm, or like looking, looking at it more objectively, perhaps is the lesson to take away here too, you know, because as creators, what we work on is so much of ourselves oh. in it. And it's really hard to separate yourself from your work as a creator a lot of the time. But I think if you look at you, what you're doing more from the scientist mindset, then maybe you can be a little more objective about the data and look at the, I don't know, a low view count in my example. And instead of feeling bad about yourself and like, oh, well, they just didn't like me. You can be like, well, let's take a look. Okay. It got 20% less traffic from this area than last time. So maybe that's mm -hmm. like, that's where I went wrong with this. And it just opens you up to, to more reasons perhaps why something didn't work so that you can look for ways to improve it. Absolutely. And where I feel like this is really interesting is that if you are someone that is, you you kind of have this project and it's like your baby, you know, and mm. you've been really trying to hone it and work on it and work out the kinks. I'm not telling you what to do. And I'm not saying that one way is better than the other, but there is something to be said for 
launching something that might be half-baked or three-quarter baked and then be very prepared to iterate on it as things happen and change and, and people react to your work than just like holding onto it so tight because it's just not ready. It's just not ready. It's, it's not quite perfect yet. So if you're holding yourself back because it's not quite perfect, at least entertain the idea that maybe it doesn't have to be. I love that. I feel like that's a really good note to end on, like a lasting piece of advice for people because I don't know, we've we've heard in the chat in previous episodes that there's a lot of perfectionists out there and that that is the core thing holding them back from from their next step, you know, from doing the thing they want to be doing. And so I like that approach to things. And so instead of feeling like, oh, I'm going to launch this thing, even though it's not done or not perfect, you just be like, no, I'm thinking like a scientist and I'm just going to get it out there and improve on it from there. I like that. Well said. Well, well said for you. I was just basically reiterating your point. <laughs> oh, well, you know, but you, you took what I said and said it way more eloquently <laughs> in your awesome accent. Oh, there we go. Always got a one-up on that. Yep. It always sounds more uh, intelligent <laughs> when it's not in an American accent. So, <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I guess Haley didn't pop. I guess Haley popped in for like half a second in here. So it was cool to see her for a millisecond or two. Yep. We got to see her face for anyone on the video version, on the audio version. Yep. You never knew she was here, but I promise <laughs> you she was at some point. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this was fun. Thanks for um, joining us, everyone. And for everybody that's on the podcast, I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback about this conversation and see, kind of seeing what what you guys think about it. I'm always interested to see. So comment on the video on YouTube or um, you can always just email us at ConvertKit. We're around. Yeah, it's just our names at ConvertKit.com. It's very easy yep. to guess our email addresses. Let us know about it. <laughs> but not my passwords, so don't even try. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>